Welcome to your daily recommended dose of psychological exercise. My name is Tyler, and this podcast is based on the belief that we, as human beings, are cutting ourselves short when it comes to psychological health. I believe mental health is no different than physical health, and just like we must achieve our daily recommended dose of physical activity, we can train our minds daily to protect against mental illness and cultivate our most optimal psychological attributes. The ultimate goal to leave you at the end of every episode with an actionable plan to implement a new psychological strategy into your life. Together is my hope that we can figure out what works and what doesn't. I have a private Facebook group for those who wish to take on weekly challenges based on the exercises taught in each episode and to share your opinions and feedback as we explore psychological health together. Check it out if you want to join our community. You'll find a link to it in the podcast description. Now on to the show. When you hear the word bravery, what or who do you think of? Write down or imagine the perfect representation of bravery. For myself, it's the heroes from Greek mythology. Maybe it's the same for you, or maybe you envision a friend, a family member, or a role model. Humans tend to hold bravery in the highest regard. If you read mythology or religious stories, the concept of the hero and bravery are never separated. Consider David and Goliath, Perseus and Medusa, or every Disney story ever told. They all have courageous and virtuous heroes who overcome amazing challenges, and all these heroes embody bravery. These courageous characters are truly the personification of bravery. They are the perfections of an abstract concept that we seem to value higher than any other strength of character. We all want to be heroes. We all want to do heroic things. And while the heroes of legends may be over-exaggerated, their challenges realistically insurmountable, bravery is still a very real human trait. And if we can recapture what bravery is in modern times, each and every one of us can learn to cultivate it and use it to better our own lives. Psychologist Carl Jung captured bravery in one of his archetypes, the hero. If you are new to Jung, he was a Swiss psychologist who lived in the time of Freud. His archetype theory, something that I have not had the pleasure of becoming well-versed in, although I hope to one day, was, as I come to understand it, an attempt at describing different unseeable forces blueprinted in human nature that produce the various elements of our personalities. The hero archetype description, once again, as I understand it, is the representation of a commonality found in human nature which is the urge to act in face of danger, to protect, and to overcome obstacles. In Jung's The Psychology of the Child Archetype, he says, The hero's main feat is to overcome the monster of darkness. It is a long-hoped-for and expected triumph of consciousness over the unconsciousness. Now, in the stories of old, the monster of darkness was a literal monster, but in reality, the monster is you. It is the awakening of the hero, the expression of bravery that allows the conscious mind to overcome the darker elements of the unconscious, that which holds you back, creates fear, chaos, and contributes to suffering. Take a Zen perspective. Suffering originates in the mind. Tragic events are only tragic because the mind understands them as so. Thus, if you are to reduce suffering, The best place is not start in the world, but in your own mind. This was, as I understand it, 
part of the goals of Jungian clinical psychology, awaken the hero and the patient so that they may face the demons both inside their minds and outside in the world. And cultivating bravery is therapeutic, and that's why I feel it's important to speak about it and important to practice cultivating it. What exactly is bravery? How do we know when we're being brave over just being foolish? What is a brave act that's also a virtuous act? If you're following along with the exercises, take some time now to attempt to write down how you would define bravery. What parameters would you use? Can you find a way to differentiate between a brave act and a reckless act? Once you've done that, put that aside, and I want you to listen to an adaptation of La Caisse by Plato. This dialogue is largely condensed and rewritten, simplified, using modern language. I feel that this makes the dialogue not only easier to record, but more accessible to the listener, while still getting the point across. It's quite long and doesn't have the most intuitive language. The dialogue begins with a father concerned over how to raise his son to be honorable and virtuous, seeking out the counsel of two Athenian war generals, Nicias and Laches. The father wanted to know whether his son should learn the art of combat with or without armor. The two generals produced completely opposite answers. Laches thought training with armor was a waste, and from his experience, it only made cowardly and foolish soldiers. Nicias believed that there was value in the practice. He thought it taught military strategy, built physical fitness, and both believed that their practices were optimal routes for cultivating virtue. Indeed, this debate likely could have raged on forever, but the father cunningly went to the wise Socrates, the old philosopher of Athens, and asked for his wisdom instead. Socrates had no straight answer for the father either, but agreed to mediate the generals through their debate. Socrates begins by making the point that in order to have a discussion about virtue, we must first define it. And furthermore, he felt that to discuss all of virtue would be overcumbersome for this conversation. So instead, he picks a component of virtue that he feels to be most relevant to the example, which is bravery. So Socrates and the two generals now dive into a quest to define bravery. Lacas begins with his first definition. He says, bravery is the soldier who can stand and fight. To that, Socrates quickly reminds him that bravery must extend to all situations of life, not just battle. Lacas then reframes his answer to be more general and says, then bravery is an endurance of the soul. Well, this too was unsatisfactory for the great philosopher. Socrates presses Lacas further and says, would you not agree that in battle there are many instances where tactfully retreating is the optimal strategy? Lacas, of course, agrees. Socrates explains to him that those elements which make up virtue should not contradict each other. Retreating in battle would be considered prudent, and prudence is thought to contribute to virtue. It is also one of the 24 character strengths we'll be talking about on this podcast. Essentially what Socrates is saying is that we should be able to express prudence and bravery. They should not contradict each other to the point of only be able to cultivate one or the other. At this point in the conversation, Socrates turns to Nikias. Nikias offers his definition, saying that he believes bravery is a knowledge or wisdom of that is which to be feared and hoped for. 
Now, there's a lot of dialogue between the three after Nikki has offers his definition, but I feel his point is best expressed a little later on when he compares the actions of animals, children, and adults. Nikki has starts with animals. Certainly animals have been considered to be brave. Dogs will risk their lives to defend their owners, for example. But Nikias argues that this cannot be considered true bravery because animals do not possess the ability to fully understand the, the good and evil, the harms that may befall them, of taking those actions. Nikias also uses the example of children, who always seem to be so brave and fearless. I'm sure this is something we've all seen before or at least heard about. And indeed, fearless they are, Nikias argues, just like animals because they cannot fully comprehend the risks of any dangerous actions they take. Nikias says that fearlessness should be different than bravery, because bravery must incorporate fear. And if we are unable to understand the risks, then fear cannot be generated. And if fear is not generated, then there's no fear to overcome. And thus, the act is not truly brave. Now, the conversation continues, and essentially Socrates comes to the conclusion that the two generals will not come to a satisfactory definition, and says that they shall all go back to school until they've learned some more. However, Nikias makes an excellent point about bravery that I want you to hold on to, as it serves an, as an excellent segue into the contemporary definitions. I want to use this dialogue in hopes of helping you see the process of making the definition, not just giving it to you. And I want you to hold on to the idea that bravery seems to be a wisdom that incorporates a perspective of sorts. And you have to have the ability to foresee the risks, risks that will be fear generating. And then it's the act of overcoming that fear that makes an act brave. Let's talk about the more modern definitions of bravery. A consensual and modern definition of bravery can be found in Seligman and Peterson's classification of character strengths and virtues. And this is where they quote Shelp 1984, which reads, the disposition to voluntarily act, perhaps fearfully in a dangerous circumstance where the relevant risks are reasonably appraised in an effort to obtain or preserve some perceived good for oneself or others, recognizing that that desired perceived good may not be realized. Okay, so let's break this down. The beginning of the quote reads much like Nikias' definition. Bravery is voluntary. It includes danger, thus potentially including fear. And as well, the risks are reasonably appraised. So much like in Nikias' definition, Shelp agrees that in order for an act to be brave, we must be able to appraise these risks. So we must have some knowledge of the risks that can come from it, and then we have to make a decision based on those of whether or not to act. Let me illustrate an example that might help bring this idea to life. Let's say you're signing up for a fighting match, and you have no idea who your opponent is, but you're quite full of yourself, and you go in thinking, or you go in with the assumption that you will win. I'm sure a lot of you probably wouldn't act like this, but I imagine that you might know people who would act like this. So while this act of putting yourself in harm's way might appear to be brave, remember anybody could be behind that other fighter. So instead, it would be argued that this action is more so reckless because you're ignorant to the risks, 
or you haven't been able to fully appraise these risks, almost like in an informed consent situation. Now, let's say you get information on your opponent. You analyze him and decide that you're evenly matched. Now, getting into the ring to fight him could be considered brave because you are indeed aware of the risks and you've come to the reasonable conclusion that given the risks are not overwhelmingly high, it might be a good idea to fight this person. So in that case, although we still need some more digging, this could be considered brave. A third example, let's say you get the information on the fighter and it turns out to be a UFC pro. Would stepping into the ring now be considered brave? Well, I would argue no, because in this case, the risks are insurmountably high. So while you understand the risks, there's no trade-off or rational and likely benefit to challenging this fighter. Thus, the act is not brave, it's still reckless because the odds of you losing are just so high. The other aspect of Shelp's definition that is important is that brave actions are done to obtain some perceived good for oneself or others. And this is where I feel we really bring in virtue into bravery. Now, obviously, perceived good is very subjective and up for interpretation. I imagine it differs very much from person to person. But let's play out a scenario. Take that example of going into the ring to fight an opponent again, who is evenly matched to you. All the risks have been well appraised. The next thing we must consider is what good might come of this. Now, for professional fighters who fight for a living, they would gain intrinsic value, health, wellness, fitness. They would make a living for themselves, for their families. So arguably, these benefits would be considered very good, not only for them, but for those that rely on them for support, and their families and their fans. So it can be argued that in this case, the benefits outweigh the risks. However, what if you are just someone who is about to get into a fight, say on the streets or outside a club over a meaningless altercation? Because that happens all the time, and I'm sure we've all seen this happen. Well, what benefit would the, the two fighters gain from that? Maybe some sort of retribution or vengeance, or but are, but are those virtuous? Arguably not. And think about all that could go wrong in that fight. There's still a very, very small risk that you could die, or you could even kill the other person. So in that case, I would argue that fighting is not brave, but reckless, because it has no real benefits or virtuous outcomes. I feel analyzing brave acts in respect to the good that may come of them, as well as the bad, is largely what Nicky Ass was at least trying to speak about when he said that bravery was a wisdom of sorts. So now we must add on to our definition that brave acts must also be virtuous acts. They must bring good into the world and not add too much pain and suffering for others. Now that we have a consensual definition, let's look a little bit deeper into bravery, specifically the different types of bravery. Seligman and Peterson have defined two types of bravery, physical and moral. Physical bravery is largely what we've already been talking about. It's characterized by fear of bodily injury or death, to quote Suleiman Peterson. It can range quite broadly from going off to war, to playing contact sports, to getting in a car, to 
really engaging in any activity that could bring some sort of physical injury, harm, or death upon somebody. And the fighting example is an excellent one. On the other hand, moral bravery, it often relates to the fears of others' opinions. Looking foolish before peers, for example, is a common fear. Moral bravery compels or allows an individual to do what he or she believes is right, despite fear of social or economic consequences. That, the fear that can summon moral bravery takes many forms. Fear of job loss, fear of poverty, fear of losing friends, fear of criticism, fear of making enemies, or fear of losing status. That's all a quote from Seligman and Peterson's definition. So really, bravery can take every form. It's truly different for every person. For some, it might be going off the war, risking your life, but for others, it might be talking to a new friend, learning a new skill at work, starting a business, going to a workout class, or just calling somebody new on a phone. You see here that the fears we're talking about are rooted in very common anxieties, social anxiety being a big one, as well as just feelings of insecurity, self-doubt, and any negative feelings that revolve around the fear of one's self-perception and how others view them. It's these little anxieties that hold us back every day that stop us from being the best people that we can be. And that's how I want to apply bravery in your guys' lives. Or at least that's where I feel it's most actionable, practical, and, and applicable. And valuable. Here's the first exercise. This exercise is actually a mindfulness practice and it's rooted in Tibetan Buddhism. And now as always, I strongly feel that mindfulness is a key prerequisite to being successful in these exercises. First exercise, and I hope I'm getting this right, but I'm sure I'm not, it's called Tonglen. It's a meditation practice, as I said, from Tibetan Buddhism. And the practice is largely rooted in the breath. So when you practice it, you essentially practice breathing in the idea of, say, suffering, anxiousness, insecurity, and you breathe out the positive opposite of that, almost like you've converted the negative into the positive. Personally, I find this practice adds value by helping you notice and become aware of the emotions surrounding fear. And of course, it's the identification of fear arising that allows us to know when we need to be brave. So here's an example. I've always found I have anxiety when opening up new conversations with new people, especially over the phone. My job currently requires me to reach out to a lot of people over the phone every single day to do interviews or to gather consent for a study. And oftentimes it requires the discussion of sensitive information. Now, when I get anxious, I end up procrastinating calling people or I become more flustered over the phone, especially when things don't go as to script. Or this is an excellent task that I could pick to help me become more brave. If I were to int integrate the Tonglen into this example, whenever I find myself getting anxious about calling people or ruminating over an upcoming conversation, I can become mindful of my current state. I acknowledge the fears that I have. I notice how my anxiousness is arising in the body, usually as an energetic feeling in my stomach. 
and I take a deep breath and I breathe in all those feelings. When I breathe in, I think about the the fears, the anxieties that come along with reaching out to new people. And then I breathe out. When I breathe out, I think about bravery, confidence, and skill. Now, of course, you might listen to this and think the idea of breathing in concepts and breathing out other concepts, abstract concepts, is kind of strange. And it's not so much the idea of you're actually transforming these in your body through your breath, but it's the idea that you're taking the time to notice them. And by noticing them, you can inquire a little bit about them, but at the very least you can break that psychological pattern that would normally keep you procrastinating for a long time. And that makes it so much easier to get over that fear much quicker, which is acting brave. The second exercise is quite simply to actively practice bravery every day. The more you practice noticing and overcoming fears, the better you get at it. We're actually going to start this exercise right now. I want you to think of a small fear that often gets in your way. For example, my small fear was the fear of conversing with new people over the phone and that reduced my ability to be productive at work. Once you write that down, I want you to write down when and how you will work to overcome this fear each and every day for the next week. So for myself, I would say on Monday, when I have to call a new participant, and when I notice myself to start feeling anxious, I'll use that Tonglin technique to help me get over the fear. Then in the evening, write about your experiences. So you're right, did the technique work? Might you have to try something else? But more importantly, how did you feel once you overcame that fear? Oftentimes we get so worked up about something and then we get through it and it's really not that bad. It's good to notice how you feel on the other end. Holding on to that, at least I've always found, holding on to that feeling of relief and acknowledging that things weren't that bad and, and just being so happy to have accomplished that is really useful to draw upon when you're about to engage with that activity again. The third exercise is thinking about the outcomes and natures of our actions to help determine which acts are brave and which are not. Now, this exercise is from Perry 2008, as cited in Character Strength Interventions, a field guide for practitioners by Ryan Nemec. I like this exercise because I feel it solidifies the philosophical and ethical component of bravery. In other words, it's that it's how we add, or it's helping us figure out which acts are virtuous and which acts aren't. It also helps provide a reason for taking action in the face of fear, other than simply overcoming fearfulness for its own sake. Moreover, it helps us understand when overcoming fear is worthwhile and when it might otherwise be reckless. For example, maybe you're having a problem with a boss not treating you respectfully. I hear about this stuff all the time. Now, confronting that boss would certainly satisfy many of the aspects of bravery, overcoming fear, challenge, doing something that might have a positive impact on your life. However, how you choose to go about that confrontation can truly be the deciding factor of whether the action is brave or reckless. So you walk into your boss's office and let's say you start blaming them. You are talking aggressively, you're pointing fingers, and maybe you do that in front of the other staff. But think about how that situation will play out. Now, of course, if you're going to practice this exercise, that's exactly what you would do. You would plan it out and then you think, well, what are the consequences that might happen here? I would argue that probably won't play out quite well because what do we know about how humans react to aggression, to finger pointing, to accusations? 
it's not well, and especially if they are being accused in front of other people. I would argue that this act may end up having negative consequences and thus could be reckless. Is there a more optimal way? Well, indeed, calmly approaching your bras, choosing to have the conversation in a safe and private place, acknowledging that they might not have wittingly been aware of the way that they were treating you, and hopefully coming to a productive resolution would be, in my opinion, more optimal. Because at the end of the day, you want what's best for both you and your boss, and you both want to be able to grow from this. You don't want bad blood between the person who you have to work for for potentially a very long time. And moreover, you want to help them better themselves, because that doesn't only help you, but it helps them and it helps everybody else that they're gonna work under. Both of those scenarios, are about overcoming fear, taking risks. One is much more risky than the other, and one is much more virtuous than the other. Let's remember that bravery isn't just overcoming fear and challenges, but it's acting in a wise and virtuous way. Wisdom must be cultivated as well. And when we take the time to think about the outcomes of our actions, the ethics, and what distal consequences those might have, not only for ourselves, but for those in which we're acting upon, we can make better choices for everybody. This, of course, brings in the character strength of perspective, and I've actually produced a lesson on that already. You can check that out if you like. This last exercise is actually a question, and it's a question I'd like you to ponder on and hopefully discuss with other members in the Facebook group. If you don't know about the Facebook group, it's a private group for listeners of the podcast where you can discuss your experiences with the exercises found in these episodes. The question to ponder. We have defined brave actions as those which are proactively appraised. We are aware of the risks and the benefits before we act. But what about those undeniably brave acts that are not thought through? Those split-second actions like pushing somebody out of the way of an oncoming car, saving someone from drowning, or stopping an armed robber. Surely those people do not think about the risks before bravely risking their lives for others. So by definition, is that bravery? If it's not thought out, if the risks aren't appraised, what do we call it? If you do think that is bravery, then how should we refine our definition of bravery to include such actions? I feel this is a tremendously interesting question to think about, and I'm really excited to hear what you guys think. If you like, please go on the Facebook group and share your thoughts. I might end up reaching out to ask if I can share your comments in a future episode when I come back to this question. And if you're not in the Facebook group, you can find a link to it in the description. All right, well, that is all for today. So I hope you really enjoyed the episode on bravery, and I hope you plan to find some new ways to cultivate bravery in your own life. If it works out and you really enjoy it, please leave me a comment or shoot me a message. I love to know if these things are working for you. And if it doesn't, please do the same. 